What's up, everybody? <laughs> Apologize for the technical difficulties. We were trying to bring you the heat from last week in Pastor Dennis's message. Did any of you guys enjoy Pastor Dennis's message last week? That was awesome. If you're not familiar, is that me? Good, my goodness. His beard is getting big. Hold on. Is that better? There we go. So, Pastor Dennis, he is our senior pastor here at Victory. If you don't normally come to Victory, we are the young adults ministry of Victory World Church. It's an amazing church, and that was our senior pastor. He came and shared some wisdom with us last week. He did a message called The Principal Thing, and just saying that the primary thing that we need to gain in life is wisdom. He was specifically, my goodness, that's on me, guys. Hold on. Is that, yeah, there we go. All right. So he was specifically talking about wisdom because we're in a series called Reveal. And he asked me if he could come in and speak to us because we're just a different generation. Man, okay. I've never had this, uh, this issue before. I don't want to keep running into that. There we go. I think. We'll see. <laughs> he asked me to come in and speak because he's passionate about the millennial generation. How many of you guys are millennials? Just about all of us are millennials. We are the millennial generation. A lot of people refer to us as the microwave generation. Has anybody ever heard that term before? Do you guys know why they call us the microwave generation? Because we like things fast. Because we're used to microwaves. I think I'll keep this on deck just in case, but I think it's decent. I like to have my hands free. So with the microwave, right? You guys got to follow me, man. Don't pay attention to the mess. All right? So, all right, this is running into stuff. You can cut it off. It's all good. Thank you. Testing, testing. There we go. All right. Here we go. You guys can hear me? You guys ready? We got a word tonight. The enemy's trying to stop it, but he can't because we got all types of mics. All right. So like I said, we're the microwave generation. We're used to microwaves. So because of that, a lot of times we don't value natural things as much as some of our ancestors might have. We don't value fire because we made ovens. We're not trying to start no fire. We barely value ovens because we have microwaves. And so there's a lot of things, a lot of times, man, we don't necessarily even value God's creation as much because of the alternatives that we've created, right? And so we don't value, well, I was going to say books, but that, I don't think that's a creation from God. But God wrote the Bible. We don't value books as much because we have the internet. But one of the things that we don't value as much, and I can tell you that we don't value it as much because you probably won't even think about it. When I say, do you guys know what the refrigerator replaced most for us? What was that? I don't, I don't think I hear it. Ice boxes. No, that ain't it. 
Somebody's saying it, but somebody's saying it kind of quiet. Salt. The refrigerator replaced salt. How many of you guys view salt as an extremely valuable commodity? No, you don't. Stop. You do not value salt. Don't even front. You guys do not value salt like ancient people valued salt. Salt was super valuable in ancient times. It was extremely valuable. I have a few interesting facts about salt. The word salary comes from an ancient word meaning salt money, referring to a Roman soldier's allowance for the purchase of salt. The word salad also originated from salt. Did y'all know that? No, you didn't. And began with early Romans salting their leafy greens and vegetables. So they had leafy greens and vegetables. They put salt on it and call it a salad. And that's where you got the term from. Also, covenants in both the Old and New Testaments were often sealed with salt. So when a covenant is a binding agreement, it's a lifelong agreement. It's an agreement that both parties agree to die if they break it. And in order to seal it, a lot of times they would ingest salt. And so if you and I made a covenant, we'd make this agreement and then we'd both eat salt. I don't know. I don't know why. But it was important. So much so that Roman soldiers were being paid in salt. But we hear the word salt and we don't really think it's all that important. Interestingly enough, in Leviticus, God told the Israelites to season all your grain offerings with salt. So when they would offer grain to God, he said, you got to season it. All right. Don't give me nothing bland. When you're making an offering, I need a little flavor on it. Don't give me nothing plain. He said, do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. Salt is actually the origin of the word salvation. There's a word in here tonight. So for the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Reveal, where we've been talking about the truth of God. And the first message was called Pursue the Truth, talking about how God reveals the truth as we pursue it. And so a lot of times you'll be out here and answers will come to you. But the truth you have to seek out. Amen. The truth you have to actually pursue. God says when you pursue him, when you seek him with all of your heart, then you will find him. But you don't just stumble upon the truth. You have to pursue it. Then Pastor Dennis came in last week and he was talking about wisdom and saying that's the main thing that you need to get in life. Especially as young people, we're making really, really important, pivotal decisions in our lives right now. We're choosing all of the important things. We're choosing what we're about to do with our lives. We're choosing who we're going to spend our life with. We're choosing what we're going to invest in much more seriously than we were maybe in our teen teenage years. And so wisdom is so important. But once you get the truth, what do you do with it? That's what we're talking about tonight. And I want to say after you pursue the truth and you get the truth, then it's important for you to 
preserve the truth. Salt is a preservative. That's one of the functions of it. It actually prevents things from decaying. And so they used it for all types of things in ancient times. I'm not gonna lie, I got overwhelmed when studying salt for this message because there are so many purposes, so much information, so much revelation just about salt in itself that I didn't even know where to start. There's so much information in there. But I wanna focus on a few key things that salt does tonight and one is preserving the truth. We are in a generation that needs truth. I would argue, I think everybody needs truth, but I think right now um, we need truth more than ever before because we have access to more information than anybody else, any previous generations. We have access to nonstop information and a lot of it is not truthful. I was looking up some statistics earlier and I was looking up just different controversial issues in, in politics and what different people are saying about it and particularly what people are saying that the Bible says about stuff. I went on this website and they were talking about what the Bible has to say about abortion and this website was misquote, like when I say misquoting scriptures, like literally saying Exodus 21, 22 says this and it doesn't say that. Like, I'm like, it doesn't say that in there. I went and looked it up. It literally doesn't say that. But this website, to push their own agenda, will literally say, oh, your Bible says this, and it doesn't. We have to pursue the truth because answers will find us. You stumble across a website that's saying something, and somebody will tell you a bold-faced lie. I was stunned that they would put together this article and just completely lie and falsify their claims. It wasn't even like, oh, they misunderstood that or they took it out of context. No, it was just a straight up lie. It did not say that. So it's so important that we are pursuing the truth and then especially as Christians, the truth is the word of God. The truth is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way, I am the life. When we find Jesus, when we find the truth, it is important to preserve that in our lives and preserve what he's given us and then preserve his truth in our society. Jesus, in one of his most famous sermons, have you guys heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Because he was on a mountain giving a sermon. And he said some revolutionary things in there. He said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, though they will be comforted. He was saying countercultural things. Nobody would say that somebody who's poor is blessed. But there was revelation in what he was saying. There was truth in what he was saying. That blessed are you when you acknowledge your need for him in your spirit. Blessed are you when you mourn because you will be comforted by God. Blessed are the meek, the humble. They will inherit the earth. This was revolutionary truth. That wasn't just going, that you weren't just going to stumble upon. You had to hear it from the true source. And after he says all these things, it's called the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. He says to them, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. The title of tonight's message is Stay Salty. You got to stay salty. According to Jesus, you as followers of Christ are the salt of the earth. And I know that doesn't really mean a lot to you right now. Because you don't value salt like they valued salt. But he was talking to disciples that were very familiar with salt. It was a means of currency to them. It wasn't something that you just stumbled upon. It was valuable. The fishermen, they knew how important salt was because when they went fishing and they got their fish, they would have to pack it in salt so that it did not decay. So whatever that salt was attached to, it would prevent it from decaying. It would preserve it. God said that his covenants are covenants of salt. Salt preserves. God has made agreements with us that preserve us. Eternal life is the preservation of our souls for all eternity. He has prevented us from decay. He has prevented us from death. And then he says that we are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And what is it good for but to be trampled underfoot? So some people, as I was looking this up, this is actually kind of a a highly discussed thing because scientifically salt cannot lose its saltiness. That's actually scientifically impossible. So people are like, well, Jesus is saying if salt loses its saltiness, but that's actually not possible. The element, it cannot lose its saltiness. So what was he talking about? They're saying, well, maybe he was talking figuratively. No, he was talking culturally because when you know what they were used to and what they were used to seeing there's some revelation in it we're going to talk about a few pieces of that one is the word that he uses for loses its saltiness that's our english translation but it was written in greek and that greek word is modaino and y'all are not going to believe see y'all done spoiled it (laughs) modaino means to be foolish I was going to hit y'all with that a little harder, but it came up. (laughs) But can you believe? I mean, this is why it's so important to pursue the truth. I want to know what Jesus was saying. And it's not that it's a mistranslation. It's an attempt to translate it into our language. But that wouldn't necessarily just make sense to us like it made sense to them. So it was saying it loses its taste, becomes tasteless, but that word means to be foolish. Y'all might not believe me. I wanted you guys to know this so badly that I actually screen recorded how I found it so that you guys can also know how to find this. Do we have the video? I want y'all to know. Biblehub.com. You can, you can go to any verse. You can click the interlinear version. And now you see all these words. Can you, can you rewind it a little bit? Rewind it a little bit. Yep, just go back. Yep, you are the salt of the earth. You see all the Greek words used there. And then I click that morante right there. That's probably not the pronunciation. Three, four, seven, one. You click that number. You click the number. Boom, I click that. I go down. And what does it say? To be foolish. It's that simple. I didn't make this up. That's actually what that means. You have to pursue the truth. 
and there will be understanding, there will be revelation. God will reveal the truth as you pursue it. So you say, how does salt lose its saltiness? Well, you become foolish. It was actually very, very, very plain. He's saying, you as followers of Christ are the salt of the earth, but when you become foolish, what are you good for? How do you become foolish? Well, Pastor Dennis talked about that last week, and we're also going to talk about it tonight. Following the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the age around you, the wisdom of people who are just trying to figure things out like you are. You need the wisdom of God, the God who created you. But from a scientific perspective, Jesus Jesus doesn't leave a lot of room for questioning. He was speaking very, he wasn't speaking mysteriously. He's speaking to people who are going to understand what he's saying, but we're living 2,000 years later. Our culture is a little bit different. They were in Israel, the Dead Sea. How many of you guys have heard of the Dead Sea? So the Dead Sea, the salt in the Dead Sea, it was, also, it was called the Salt Sea to them, the Salt Sea. And it was full of salt, and the salt wasn't of high quality because it would mix with the minerals around it. And then the outer layer would become tasteless. And it was good for nothing when it mixed with the environment around it. When it took on the properties of the environment around it, it was good for nothing. It could not preserve anything. It could not be distinguished from anything. You put it in food, you couldn't taste it. How is your life? Is your life easily, does it carry the flavor of God? Easily distinguishable from other lifestyles? Not in a way that you are elite or feeling as if you are better than people, but you are living differently that's what holy means. Holy just means separate. Holy means you, these two things are together, boom, I bring this over here, that's holy. Separated. You have to live separated in your heart from the environment around you, or you will not be able to be used for anything. If you do not pursue this truth, if you do not pursue what Jesus actually said about following him, you can live deceived. If you, if you stay in the mindset of it just being this vertical relationship that just ends in you walking into heaven, you will miss everything that he wants to do with you. You are the salt of the earth. He didn't say the salt of heaven. You are the salt of this place where you are. You are supposed to live distinguishably different than the people around you. Your life is supposed to reflect the flavor of God, the love of God. That's why it's so important to cling to Romans 12 too. That's what we talked about in the first message. Pastor Dennis mentioned it last week. It says, do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world. And that word world used there, it means it's, it's ahion. It means the present age. A span of time. You're just in a span of time that has its own 
morals and values, and they'll change as time goes on. It's changed as time has gone on. So don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the present age that you're in. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will be able to, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. His will for you is perfect. But you have to start by by separating in your heart from the world around you. And that does not mean you don't have love for people, compassion for people. That's one of the ways that we distinguish ourselves is we actually love people. We care for the people around us. This is the life that he's called us to. Our life is supposed to look different. Jesus' life looked different. And he said that he came to serve. That's what made him different. Nobody else was trying to serve people. They were trying to serve themselves. Jesus said, I came not to be served. The son of God left heaven, came down here not to be served. The only person worth Worshiping came to serve. How much more should we live that way and in that way stay salty? Amen? Another translation of that Matthew uh, 5.13 says, Your lives are like salt among the people, but if you, like salt, become bland, how can your saltiness be restored? Flavorless salt is good for nothing and will be thrown out and trampled on by others. It says your lives are like salt among the people, but if you, like salt, become bland, once those minerals encased that salt, there was salt underneath it, but it couldn't do anything because the salt wouldn't react with what it was against. It was those outer minerals that would react against it. Is the truth of God hidden in your mind because you don't share it? Are you sharing the love of God? Are you sharing the truth of God? Or does the way you carry yourself, the way that you live your life, just mix with everything else and is indistinguishable? Has it encased the truth that is within you? Might be a little uncomfortable right now. I lived that way for a long time. I knew the truth. I knew that Jesus was God. But the Bible says that we can suppress the truth by our own wickedness. Just my desire to do what I wanted to do. Suppress the truth in me. And so then I can have the truth in me, but it's not my words that really transform people. It's the word of God and it's my life reflecting the character of God. People aren't really listening to what you say. They're watching what you do. They're watching the results in your life. I started personal training for a while. People don't care what you say if you don't look the part. You're not in shape. I don't care what you studied. Doesn't look like you studied that hard. Doesn't look like you have the answers. So if you are saying that you have the truth of God, the gospel, the good news for all mankind, does your life reflect the gospel? Does your life reflect good news for people? Or is it just your words? And you say, oh, God knows my heart. 
Do you continue giving yourself a pass? And this is not to say that God is just waiting around with some hammer, but how can he use you? This is more than just stepping into heaven at the end of your life. What about all these years you spend here? He wants to do something, and there's plenty of people who need to know him. And he's chosen us as his representatives. Do we represent him well? And that's not easy to do all the time. Sometimes it's inconvenient and it's uncomfortable. I've been in that situation plenty of times where you're like, I wonder if this is a good time to share the gospel. <laughs> nah, that would be awkward. <laughs> I've done it. And I've been like, hmm, was I supposed to do that? Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> but that's why my prayer is God, give me the discernment to know when you want to use me to say something, how you want to use me. Give me the words to say, because I know I can't convince somebody. I'm not about to sit here and debate with people and try to convince them of the truth. It's only you who can do it, but you have to use me. Salt doesn't throw itself on stuff. It's used. God wants to use you as an agent to prevent people from decaying. God wants to use you. I'll say it again. All right. I'm playing. Really, though, God wants to use you as an agent to prevent the world around you from decaying. From dying, from rotting. It's absolutely necessary. They didn't have refrigerators back then. So those disciples knew if we catch this fish, if we don't pack this thing in salt, it's going to rot. Has God maybe said that about this world? If I don't sprinkle my people around here, there's going to be a lot of people rotting and decaying. And then he sprinkles us and we just mix with everything around us and we become useless. Is God sending you into an industry, but you just conform to the patterns and behaviors of that industry? And there's nothing distinctly different. You're not being used there. If you are not distinctly different, you are not being used there. You can deceive yourself into thinking you are. I used to feel that way, like, oh, I believe in Jesus, so when I'm successful, that's going to make him look good. No, that's not what he said. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, success is not saltiness. It's your living the word of God, living what the Bible teaches, living what God teaches that makes you salty because his word is countercultural. So what does it look like to be bland? He says, if you like salt become bland, how can your saltiness be restored? Your life is bland when it has no contrast to the people around you who do not follow Christ. Jesus' teachings are countercultural. If your life is consistent with the world's culture, you're not salty. If the only thing different about you is sometimes you read the Bible when nobody sees and that's the only thing different, and you believe in God, 
That's not being salty. Your life, when you follow the teachings of Jesus, your life should be a stark contrast to the people around you. Because this world does not follow Jesus. And what Jesus teaches us to do most of the time goes, around, goes against what we are naturally inclined to do. So the people around you are following what they're naturally inclined to do. So Jesus says, blessed are you when you are poor in spirit. Who out here is saying, blessed are you when you're poor? No. Be successful. Get money. Or you're not blessed. Actually, getting money is blessings. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. The world has no means of comfort. And that's what happens when we step away from the God who created us just because he sets boundaries. That's, the most of the, that's most of the time the reason that people are stepping away because they don't like his boundaries. You also step away from his blessings. And then you find yourself without the source that you need when you step away. And we're around a world of people who are dealing with that. Shutting God out. And if your life is no different than theirs, why would they follow what you're saying? A lot of people will make fun of you, make jokes, all that stuff. But when they see that stuff working out for you, and their life is constantly kind of going in a downward spiral, even though they feel like they're climbing, they're going to keep looking over like, man. Look like you're doing all right over there. You have peace. My life to the people around me is not devoid of challenges, of tough stuff. It's that people see me come out of tough stuff. People see God's hand in my life. Not because I'm amazing, but just because he's preserved me. They see the salt in my life. Because he's preserved me from season to season, and I'm continuously growing when I'm with Jesus, because I'm with Jesus. I talk to so many people. I, I may not have talked to somebody in a year. Oh, man, what's new with you? So many times the answer is, hmm, nothing really. Just working. And then they're like, but you got a lot going on. My life is completely different than it was a year ago because that's what Jesus will do. When you live day by day with him, oh my gosh, a year? When you're walking with Jesus, hearing from him daily, my, this week looks different for me than last week because of what Jesus has been speaking to me. My perspective on life changes in a week easily. Because I'm hearing from him, doing life with him. That's different. Most people are going through the motions for 30 years, doing the same thing, getting the same results. And when your life reflects who Jesus is, that's when you're salty. It was interesting. Um, a few years ago, I was leaving my house in the morning. I was actually uh, going to take a friend of mine to the airport, and I made a peanut butter sandwich in the morning because I'm about them gains. And I was eating this peanut butter sandwich. Well, before I ate it, I bit into it. And 
I almost threw up. Like, I bite into it, and I'm like, ah, ah, this is terrible. And I'm driving. I'm like, what is in this? Why is that so salty? So I had this peanut butter that you had to stir. Has anybody had that? Peanut butter that you got to stir up, mix up the ingredients. And it said less than 1% salt. No salt added. Less than 1% salt. I got all 1% in one sandwich. Really in one bite. And it was so potent. That morning I had been reading, it was crazy. Like, I was praying, I was like, God, what do you want me to read? And I just saw Zephaniah, like, in my brain. And I'm like, okay. I go and read, and it's talking about the day of the Lord. It's talking about judgment day. And I'm like, man, this is heavy. Judgment day, that, there's, that the day of the Lord is coming. A lot of us don't read about that, so we don't think about it. But it's a promise from him. It says the day of the Lord is coming, and he describes all of what's about to happen. And he's not playing. He's God. And so I, I get in my car. I'm driving. I bite into my peanut butter sandwich. It's super salty. It's disgusting. And God just starts speaking to me about that's what we're supposed to be like. It's distinguishable, potent. A collection like this of followers of Christ should be potent. People should feel the difference. Taste it in the atmosphere. Not because you're amazing, because the God who is in you is amazing. It should be distinguishably different. People bite into Norcross and be like, huh? <laughs> Some salt over there. But our lives have to look different. That doesn't come from hallelujahs and amens and clapping to the hands and just getting on your knees. Sometimes that comes from when you walk out these doors, your life is different. Your conversations are different. Sometimes I'm in the barbershop, I can't laugh at certain jokes that they make. And it'd be feeling awkward because I'm in there looking like Kanye, like. <laughs> but I'm like, no, I want them to see the difference. I want them to see the difference. I was in the barbershop yesterday, actually. It was only two barbers in there. I was talking to my barber. They started talking about just all this stuff about, you know, just, you know, trying to get on a better path. And, yo, I got to get right. And, you know, sometimes my spirit be off. <laughs> I need my spirit on. I'm like, oh, word. What does it look like when you're spiritually on? Yo, it just feels different. Like, I be in a whole different vibe. I'm like, okay, okay, word. Explain, explain that to me. What does it look like when you're spiritually on in life? Or actually, what does it look like when you're spiritually off? He's like, yo, sometimes I be coming in and I love cutting hair. Sometimes I don't be feeling like cutting. It's just be like, yo, what's up with me? My spirit's off. I love cutting hair. I'm like, okay, okay. So, so what's the difference in your, in your behavior that leads to you being spiritually on or spiritually off. He's like, man, I don't, I don't know. 
I said, okay, yeah, what, what, what do you believe about your spiritual life? And they're like, what do I believe? Yeah, well, I believe in God. I'm like, okay, cool. What are your thoughts on Jesus? See, this is a conversation, right? What are your thoughts on Jesus? Oh, man, uh, man, you know, I don't, uh, you know, uh, I don't really know. Like, Jesus, like, he's God, right? Jesus is God. Like, the other guy's like, yeah, Jesus is God. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 Jesus is God. Yeah. You know, he's cutting me up, saucing me up. I'm like, okay. I see the fade. Okay. So he's like, yeah, Jesus is God. I said, okay. You know, what do you know about Jesus? He said, hmm. He said, uh, he said, Jesus, Jesus is uh, God's father, right? I, I said, nah, bro. And this is, this is my barber who I actually, uh, man, I had him download the Bible app like last year when we were talking. And he told me he grew up in church. And so I thought he understood the gospel. And it's like, yo, you just need to be reading the Bible. I had him download the Bible app. He didn't even know it existed. And then I'm talking to him and I'm like, you think Jesus is God's father? I didn't ask enough questions. Now, as I'm having this conversation, I'm also being aware of how I'm talking, how I'm engaging with them, but also thinking about, man, what they've seen from me in life. And I can be confident that I've been solid. And then the other dude is talking, he's like, yeah, yo, I grew up in the church too, you know, and, you know, uh, and I know this. And he started like spitting out all these like random facts, but he's like, yeah, man, sometimes I be trying to talk to my boys about it, but, you know, we be like smoking and drinking when I'm talking to him, and I'll be like, ah, like, ah, man, like, you know, I'm high right now, ah. This is raw, real life. This is what he's saying. I'm like, bro, that's not salty at all. You're not changing anybody's life, spitting out random information or facts about the Bible. So I, I asked my barber, I said, yo, do you know what the gospel is? He said, nah, bro, I went through it from beginning to end. Adam and Eve, what happened? And I was able to outline why Jesus came, what happened, that he was crucified, people with all these things, able to deliver the gospel. But if my life didn't match up, if he hadn't seen me be solid, there would be no respect for what I'm saying. And so if people are not seeing character and integrity in your life, if they're not seeing you with the small things, how are you going to witness to somebody at your job and you come in there with an attitude, late, always talking about people, talking about your boss? I'm, I'm for real because that's tempting, especially a job you don't really care about. And we as millennials are notorious for not caring about our jobs. <laughs> Every single one of us feels like this is temporary. I'm actually about to get up out of here. You don't even know. I got plans. I don't plan on working for nobody. So I'm going to come in here. I'm going to do what I got to do. Make my nine to five work for me. And then what your employer sees is a lack of integrity and a lack of character and a lack of care. And so even in my last job, I wasn't a huge fan of how my boss led our team, but I was constantly convicted and driven by the fact that I have to represent Christ. 
regardless. Because what if this man decides to follow Christ one day? Based on the fact that I've been stand up, even when, it, even when things were unfair, even when I didn't agree, I was still trustworthy, I was still reliable. That stuff makes a difference. Your life has to be salty. To be real, a lot of people ask me about me and my fiance. I was out to dinner, and I'm just sharing stories with y'all. I was, <laughs> I was out to dinner for a friend of mine um, probably maybe a month or so ago, maybe a month or two ago. And, you know, I walk in, and apparently my friend had been, you know, telling them about me and told them that I was a pastor. And so, you know, we're all talking. And so then, you know, people sipping and drinking. I'm not. They're like, oh, you don't drink? I'm like, nah, you know, I'm good. And I'm like, oh, why not? Man, I'm, I, I don't drink. I explained to them why. I explained to them that I used to, that I really got tired of uh, being exhausted and drained and how alcohol, I'm like, alcohol is actually like, it's, it's literally poison. And the effects that you feel are actually your body reacting to poison. And I just got tired of that. Like, I just didn't feel good being poisoned. I'm like, but I'm not trying to ruin your experience. <laughs> but that's just, it's just, it's just not wise. And ever since I've been walking with Christ, he, is, he advised not to get drunk. And, I, and I, I've seen the effects. I, I learned it the hard way. Like, that's, that's not the best idea. And so it's like, okay, man, you don't dress like a pastor. And I'm over here like, wow, this person has an idea in their mind of what a pastor dresses like. I guess I was supposed to walk him in here in a suit. <laughs> but, you know, he's like, oh, man, you know, that's cool. We're going to have to check you out sometime. And then he's like, man, I heard you about to get married. I'm like, yeah, man. He's like, oh, man, y'all have any kids? I'm like, I'm like nah, you know, uh, you know, we don't have any kids. He's like, he's like, oh, you wait until you married to have kids? That's dope. I'm like, nah, we're actually waiting until we get married to have sex. So there's no possibility for having children. And then he's like, what? All that Christian talk was all good. All that's cool, bro, I respect what you believe, all that stuff. You not what? How? Like legitimately concerned. Like, he found out I had a disease or something. Like, bro, like, are you okay? Like, how? How are you? So I just started talking to him about it, you know, about my experience with it. But me just being a Christian, being a pastor, didn't make me distinctly different in his eyes. It was my lifestyle. When you follow what Jesus says, your life will be distinctly different inherently. I'm not over here like, yo, let me preach the gospel to you. I walked in for dinner, and they just asking me questions like, oh, you a pastor? Why you dress like that? You got the sneakers on and all that? Oh, you, you not drinking? Oh. Like, and legitimately curious, how often do people ask you about why your life is different? Do they see a distinct difference in your life? And that, like I said, it didn't make me any better than the guy. It made me better off. I'm getting better results in my life because I'm following Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
Thank you. So a few easy questions to test your saltiness. Everyone in culture is having sex outside of marriage. Are you? Easy questions. Easy questions. Everyone in culture adopts the morality of the age they live in. Do you? Do you adopt the morality that changes every 10 years? because of the age that we live in and goes in this cycle, or do you adopt the morality of the truth of God that lasts forever, that lasts for eternity, that lasts, that helps us to last into eternity? I was doing some studying last week just about the moral revolution, the sexual revolution that's taken place in our country just in the last hundred years, that there are certain things that have occurred that have allowed a sexual revolution to take place like no time in ancient history. And four things came together. I'll only talk about a few of them. One of them was the birth control pill, right? And this is not me in here demonizing the birth control pill, just saying that it's an agent that has separated for people in their minds sex and babies. And so before, there was a biological check, a biological boundary, the realization that, hey, if I go into a sexual encounter, there is a reality that we might have children. That protected some people against extramarital affairs, premarital sex, sex, just doing whatever you wanted. There was a biological check in place until we created the alternative. We created the technology that said, nah, you can actually have sex and not worry about babies at all. And it's, it started changing our mindset about whether children are a gift from God or not. And I'm not here to debate with you, just saying the facts that have happened in our society that have allowed for certain things. Because when we're doing things, we're not always looking at the end result of it. We don't know what it's gonna lead to. Nobody created that so that we would change our mindset about babies. They just wanted to make things more convenient. People just wanted to do what they wanted to do. After that, a no-fault divorce law was passed to make it easier for people to get divorces because divorces were painstaking to go through. You had to have a reason. There had to be some type of infidelity. You had to have a court case. You would have to stand up, testify, all these things. And because that was so inconvenient, and don't hear me as minimizing you if you've had a divorce. You know people who are divorced. We all do. However, what's ha the reason we all do is because this has happened. And so there is a covenant that we believe as followers of Christ, there's a covenant in marriage that isn't just easy to snip. However, society has said, man, that's a painstaking process. Ronald Reagan signs a no-fault divorce law to pass because he had been divorced and been through that painstaking process. And so then there's no fault divorce. Nobody, nobody knew that 50 years later we would have so many abandonment issues because of fatherless households. Nobody intended for that to happen, but that's what happens when we create our own morality and we change it according to our convenience. So you've seen a drastic change in the breakdown of the family in our country because of decisions that were made apart from God and because the people of God never stood up and said anything, but really just went along with it. Not with bad intentions, but if you're not pursuing the truth to say, God, whatever you want above what we want, 
That's what we're going to go with because we know you have the bigger picture in mind. God can see 50 years ahead. So when you are voting, when you are making decisions, are you consulting the truth of God or are you contributing to the abandonment of the truth of God? Because what people are saying sounds like a good idea and it sounds like it's good for people. But Jesus is the lover of all people. He loves people more than you do and he's created the boundaries because he loves them. Everyone in culture is living to serve themselves. Are you? That should be distinctly different about you. Like I said, Jesus came to serve. Do you go places to serve? That's probably the hardest thing to do. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing that I think is not, let me serve somebody else. Is what do I need to do today? You have to be retrained. That's why it says, let God transform the way you think. Let him transform your mind by changing the way that you think. Because what's natural to us isn't always what's best for us. But God's word, God's truth is what's best for us. And it's what we need to prevent the decay of the society that we're in. So how do you stay salty? I got three things for you. One, you honor Christ as holy in your heart. That's the first step. You have to. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And 1 Peter three fifteen says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Pastor Dennis talked about the fear of God, the fear of the Lord, the reverential awe of God that has to be at the foundation of all wisdom. If you do not honor Christ as Lord in your heart, you will never apply his word to the different areas of your life because you will make choices based on your convenience. If you don't honor him as set apart, as holy, if you don't view him as a treasure, you'll never dig for it. You gotta dig this stuff out. You gotta dig the truth out. It's there for you. Like I said, even that, that Greek translation, it was literally Googleable, really simple. Googleable. Really, really simple. But I had to want to know. I'm saying, God, your word is the only thing that we have. It's the only thing that really gives us a chance in life. It's the only thing that really gives us purpose in life. I have to know what you're saying. I want to know what you're saying. I want to know what's on your heart. Reveal that to me. And as I pursue it, he reveals it. You have to honor him as Lord. You have to put him first. Second is you apply the word of God to every area of your life. Proverbs 28.5 says, evildoers do not understand what is right, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. There's a whole message in that. When you seek the Lord, you will understand what is right. But apart from him, you don't even know what's right. The people around you don't even know what's right. They don't understand it. It's not that people have bad intentions. They do not understand it. And third, you offer your life to be used by God. Romans 12:1 says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Since I've made the change to actually living 
to be used by God, it's transformed my life. There's no fulfillment like being used by Jesus. When I started serving in the high school ministry at the Capitol, I started encountering these kids who needed somebody, man. I'll tell you one of the craziest stories that I had. I won't go into details, but this kid, he had been watching some crazy stuff, was making him want to do some crazy stuff. He had to move out of his mom's house, move to his dad's house because he was worried that he might do something to his mother. He was just going through it mentally. His parents are calling me. I'm just a small group leader. I wasn't his pastor. I'm just his small group leader, and they're telling me this stuff. And like, can you talk to him? And I'm like, uh, y'all need somebody like who really knows what to do in these situations. I don't, I don't know. But I'm like, all right, I'll talk to him. I talk to him. He's telling me, you know, what he's going through, and he's just, you know, he's just tired of it. He's frustrated. He's cursing. You know, just all this stuff. And I just see how he's just been ingesting just darkness and nonsense, and it's just spewing out of him. I'm like, all right, man, I'm going to go see him tomorrow. So, man, I go to, a, go to his dad's place. He's there in downtown Atlanta. You know, I'm like, yo, let's go on a walk. Man, he's just like walking, just talking all crazy, you know, cursing and all this stuff in the middle of the street. And I'm like, yo, I think this kid has a demon in him. We in the middle of the street in downtown Atlanta. Should I pray for him? And like, as we're talking, I'm just sitting there like, you know, he's just going in. You know, I'm tired of my parents and all this stuff. And, you know, I'll be wanting to commit suicide, but then I'll be getting scared because it's going to hurt. All this stuff. This is legitimately what he's saying. And I'm just like, what do I do in this situation? And I wasn't perfect, but I was there. I was available to be used by God. I, I asked him if I could pray for him. He said, I don't want you to pray for me. I said, all right, bro, I'm going to pray for you anyway. <laughs> you need it. And I just prayed for him, and it wasn't no powerful prayer, and I didn't cast a demon out of him. He was still just as crazy when I left. <laughs> and it was just awkward. It was just weird. I just dropped him off, and I'm like, man, I just feel, ah, what do you do in that situation? But I was there. I was available to be used. You fast forward. I mean, he, they were going through it with him, but he ended up going to boarding school. He ended up going to uh, just getting his life together. Graduated early from high school. Started coming to Fusion. Like, legit started becoming a stand-up young man. Now he's in college, doing a whole lot better. And I'm not saying that it, I was just a part in it. I was just available to be used by God. I didn't change his life but I was there to be salt. I was there to prevent decay. I did what I could to prevent decay. I don't wanna see you go down. I will drive down there and I'll have an awkward, weird conversation with you and I'll pray an awkward prayer that you don't really receive and I don't really feel all that powerful, but I'll do it. I'll be available to be used by God. I'll offer my life as a living sacrifice and then you will see the fruit of it. Sometimes you're not gonna save everybody's life, but that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to be used and to be available to be used and your life has to reflect the character of God in order for him to really use you. If salt loses its saltiness, if salt becomes foolish, if salt mixes with the environment around it, it becomes useless. 
In closing out tonight, I want to talk about just this last piece of where it says flavorless salt is good for nothing and will be thrown out and trampled on by others. And what they're probably what he's probably talking about there is some of that salt. It was difficult to even dispose of because there was no use for it. And if they tried to throw it in a field, it would just kill the soil. So they literally had to just throw it in the street just to be walked over by people where it just wouldn't destroy stuff. Sometimes your life, if you claim to be following Jesus and you just reflect the culture around you, you do more harm than good. They would use it in the temple on wet spots, just throw it on there so people didn't slip. That's not the life you want to live. Following Jesus, we want to be available to be used. But our life has to be a certain way. We have to submit ourselves to the truth of God. It's not always easy. There's a lot of hurts that we deal with and and pains that try to keep us from doing that. But true life is found in Jesus. Your true purpose is found in Jesus. Forgiveness is found in Jesus. Redemption is found in Jesus. Grace is found in Jesus. And grace will empower you to live the life that he's calling you to live when you just submit to it. Romans 2.4 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? If you're like me and you find yourself being tempted to lose that saltiness sometimes, the beautiful thing is that we have repentance. And repentance is allowing God to change your mind. Repentance is allowing God to change your mind, saying, God, change my mind on this. Change my heart on this. I was praying that the other day, just about mission stuff and just seeing uh, that a lot of people around this world, they will get down in the mud with people, man. They'll be over in the red light district with people. And I'm like, God, I don't really be trying to do that. But you're going there. And I can't just put that off without allowing you to search my heart. I can't just say, oh, I'm gonna send the money and send other people to go. No, God, if I don't wanna get down in the mud with people like you did, change my heart. I repent for that. That's not like you. Use me. I wanna be different. I wanna be distinguishably different. Use me. So as we close out tonight, James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So just for a few minutes, I want us to get in groups of three. And I know some of y'all are like, ah. But I didn't tell you to do it. Jesus did. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Keeping it in. The Bible says that you need to share it and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So as these keys play, I want us to just spend a few minutes just sharing with each other and praying with each other. I know it's getting late. If you have to leave, you can, but I ask that you would take this moment, take this opportunity. I've been in this situation plenty of times where I'm like, man, I don't feel like talking to anybody. I just wanna talk to God. But then I get in a conversation and I'm like, oh man, this was God ordained, man. I actually benefited from this. 
And so groups of three, just speak with each other, share what's on your heart and pray for each other. We're gonna do that for a few minutes and then we're gonna go in a little bit of worship.